All right, well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of Philemon, uh, you can probably bookmark it. We're going to be there for eight weeks in a row. Uh, If you're one of those people who never memorized the order of the books of the Bible, uh, and you kind of use your finger to flip through hoping to see Philemon, you may not find Philemon. (laughs) It is very brief. It is more like a postcard than a letter. And I doubt in my Bible it takes up half of one page. So if you can find the book of Hebrews and then go backward from Hebrews, you'll find Philemon. Philemon comes right before Hebrews. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the entire letter, and then we'll dive in. This is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to his good friend Philemon. Philemon is a leader of the Colossian church. In fact, he's going to say in his letter that the church meets in his home. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me." Uh, just a, a quick side note there, Paul is, this is one of the rare moments in the Bible where Paul is honest to goodness cracking a joke. We don't, we miss this in English, but Onesimus, which is this man's name, means useful. So he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed Onesimus to you and to me. A little play on words. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you? both in the flesh and in the Lord. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And this concludes Paul's letter to Philemon. Uh, I shared with you all last week that one of the things I, I kind of arrived at, discovered Philemon later on in my Christian journey. I was really in college when I read Philemon for the first time. I'd been a Christian forever, and I never really spent any time with this little book. And it, I said it was a bit like finding money in your winter jacket that had been in storage for the whole season. I kind of was like, wow, there's a whole other book here. I didn't even know about it. And when you're reading the book of Philemon, it almost feels voyeuristic a little bit. It feels like a private conversation that we're listening in on. I don't think it was really intended as such because Paul does address the letter also to the church that meets in your home, which then you go the other direction and you go, wow, this very private letter was read publicly in the presence of Philemon and also Onesimus. We're going to be spending eight weeks in the book of Philemon. And uh, the main thing that I want us to see is that Philemon is a masterclass. It is an incredible demonstration about what it looks like to live out the gospel. At some point or another, you've probably heard the quote from Brennan Manning, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I'll say this. I think sometimes we Christians are way too hard on ourselves. I think this is true. I think sometimes people do look at the church, they don't see a difference in how the church lives and relates to one another, and they think, well, I also volunteer my time somewhere. (laughs) I also have good people in my lives. Why do I need the church? But I will say this, having grown up in the church, I have at times been confronted by men and women who live out the gospel in a radical way that made me realize there is something supernatural at work in the midst of the church. I remember when we were being evacuated one time in Southern California, the little town where I lived and worked for about 10 years was under threat of a wildfire. And a man there owned an enormous trailer. He used it to haul equipment. It was fully enclosed. And he was getting ready to start hauling stuff out of his house to put in his trailer when he found his neighbor in tears in tears. And in talking to her, he realized that basically she was worried that everything she had in her life was going to be consumed in this fire. And my friend said, well, I had a hope of something better (laughs) that was coming to me. This woman, her whole life was her pile of stuff. So he helped her haul her stuff into his trailer and hauled that away. Guys, that is radically different than much that goes on in the surrounding culture. I know another man, a very successful businessman who lived out of his van on purpose because he wanted to give as much money as he could to an orphanage in Mexico. (laughs) Wow. Guys, these are levels of Christ following that I have not attained to. But I am at times confronted by, I feel spurred on by. And one of the things I want us to see 
is that the truth of the gospel is not just meant to be understood and believed, it is also meant to be cherished and lived. The gospel, when it is grasped correctly and sincerely, and through the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this has a way of powerfully overhauling, remodeling, reshaping our inner world in a way that finds concrete and practical expression in the way that we live in the world and relate to others. 1 Corinthians 5.17, a verse I'm sure many of you are familiar with, has this sort of radical transformation in view when it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So this Sunday's message is the first in our series through the book of Philemon. The main overarching thread, again, that's going to link all of our times together in this little postcard of a book, is the way that Philemon demonstrates how the gospel should be lived out in the messy reality of our lives. And Philemon is the book, the circumstances at the center of what prompts the writing of this letter are altogether very messy, sticky. Other letters written by Paul will make the gospel, both what it is and what it is not, the main object of his teaching. However, this book is really different from those. Paul's letter to his friend Philemon is not about the gospel exactly, but it is more about how the gospel works in real life, how the gospel works in shaping how we live and and our relationships with one another, our relationships with the world. Paul communicates to Philemon in this sort of a shorthand, which assumes a shared and agreed-upon foundation in the truth. Paul doesn't go back and argue for the gospel. He argues with Philemon in light of the gospel. And this is really a difference between, say, Philemon and if you go read the book of Galatians. In Galatians, Paul is really arguing for the gospel over and against a false gospel. But Philemon, he he shares an agreed-upon understanding of the truth of Jesus and his place in their lives. And in light of that, He is arguing now for how that should find expression in the way Philemon lives and navigates his way through a fallen world. So on each Sunday morning we'll be spending in this series, Paul's letter to Philemon will help us see a different aspect of how the gospel shapes a believer, how it works in real life. We're going to be talking about second chances, forgiveness, reconciliation, What should gospel-shaped attempts to persuade another person look like? In light of the gospel, how do we deal with conflict among God's people? How does the gospel help us think about the practice of slavery in Philemon and about the broken, fallen realities in our own society? Uh, I'll just address it this morning in sort of a passing way. We're going to revisit it in week three of our series. But There is discomfort among Americans when we read Philemon because Paul, at the center of this book, is encouraging a runaway slave to return to his master. And so we, living in the shadow of the African slave trade that was part of our country's early history and which still casts a long shadow over our national psyche today, um, that we have some discomfort with that part of the letter. What do we do with that? Why wasn't Paul more forceful? in his denunciation of the practice of slavery? What are the 
differences or similarities. And so we're going to come back to that. We're not going to sidestep that issue at all. In fact, we're going to devote an entire morning to that, and that'll be week three in the series. Uh, Be praying for me as we approach that. But I'm looking forward to it. But this morning, oh, oh, but, but also this. I'll say this too. First, let me just show you five ways. Talking about how the gospel shapes our inner world and how that inner world then flows out and finds concrete expression in the way we live among one another. Charles Swin- Chuck Swindoll helped me see this this week. He points out five ways that the gospel is reflected and lived out in Philemon. First, we see that every Christian was once a fugitive. Uh, here at the, at the center of this story, there's a fugitive who ran away in disobedience, and it's about his, reco- his homecoming, returning home. And isn't that all of our stories under God? He points out, number two, that our guilt was great and the penalty under the law was severe. In the first century Roman world, the penalty for running away as a slave was death. Seems like in all those ancient cultures, the penalties were very severe, very dr- draconian, and that was what the law allowed was if was for the penalty under the law was death. However, it's a story, uh, it's a letter that encourages Philemon towards grace, forgiveness. And we also see that Onesimus has an advocate, and we do too. Paul says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And I want you to know you have an advocate too at the right hand of the Father. The Bible tells us that Jesus is there to make intercession for us. And we see that intercessory role that Paul is living out. He's been interceded for, so he becomes an interceder. And we're seeing again how the gospel shapes Paul and the way he views these circumstances in this world. Uh, Number four, Chuck Swindoll points out that our debt has been paid by Christ. Remember how Paul says in the letter, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And number five, we are received back not as slaves but as family. Paul tells Philemon, no longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother. So those are five things Chuck Swindoll points out that Philemon really is not about the gospel but it's in light of the gospel. The go- it just, uh, when you, if you cut the letter of Philemon, the gospel comes out. You know, this is just how this letter works. We were all fugitives. We were all under threat of a severe penalty. We've been shown grace, forgiveness. We have an advocate. Our debt has been paid. And we've been amazingly not just forgiven, but made a member of God's family. We are children of God. We're brothers with Jesus. This is an amazing reality that we're living in, and these are also realities at the center of Philemon. However, before we can get to all these different topics, all these different things I want to talk about and enjoy, it seems to me that there is an even more foundational gospel truth in this letter that precedes all those and is, in fact, the soil from which a gospel-shaped way of thinking and living grows. So this morning, I want to begin our conversation about how the gospel works in real life by talking about love. Uh, And it is not on purpose that this is before Valentine's Day. (laughs) Uh, If I was a really clever person, I would have had some sort of a tie-in. 
But really it's not fair because Valentine's Day is a celebration of romantic love and that's not really the kind of love in view here. In fact, in the Greek, there's a whole different word. Eros would be the Greek word for love that might apply to Valentine's Day. This morning we're talking about agape love, which is the selfless, sacrificial love that was shown to us in the gospel. But we will just move on from that thought, right? <laughs> so this morning we want to talk about love. The whole letter of Philemon is just drenched in love. It's motivated by love. It encourages its readers toward love. What we need to see is that love is behind the motivations in writing the letter to begin with. And it is the main argument being wielded by Paul to persuade Philemon. And this, of course, should not surprise us. After all, Paul and Philemon are both true disciples of Jesus. And what is a disciple? Well, as we talk about a lot here at State Road, a disciple is a sincere, from-the-heart imitator of Jesus. We talk a lot about being a people who love God, love others, and love in action. And, of course, we um, derive those three statements, which we hope to make sort of the center of our church life, our, our efforts to make disciples, from what Jesus said, remember in the Gospels, he is asked by a lawyer, what's the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he says, and the second one is like it, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God, loving others. And then he makes this incredibly expansive statement. He says, off of these two commands hangs all the law and the prophets. In other words, all of God's revealed truth to mankind can be boiled down and synthesized, falls under the heading of those two commands in some way, shape, or form. Love God, love others. And of course, what Jesus is implied in those statements, we make explicit, which is that love that requires a, an active response. Biblical love is never just about feeling or words, it's about what we do. And Paul and Philemon are both sincere, from the heart, imitators of Jesus. They're disciples. They are men who love God. They love others, and they love in action. Jesus said this in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, what it is to be a disciple, at least as a foundational thing, is that love is the governing ethic of your life. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. At the heart of this command from Jesus, given to the disciples on the night that he was betrayed, is the imperative repeated three times to love one another. And if there's doubt about what that means or what that should look like, Jesus gives us these guidelines. As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Well, of course, how Jesus loved us, that's the amazing story at the heart of the gospel. He came to us. He loved us actively and sacrificially. He gave himself for us despite the fact that we were sinners and unworthy. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life a ransom for many. In John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus lived a radical life marked by a radical love, and Philemon, Paul, as his disciples, sincere from the heart imitators of him, reflect him well when they love one another as Jesus loved them. And what I think we see in the letter of Paul to Philemon is this is an exchange between two men whose inner world has really been shaped by the gospel. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through their personal embrace and submission to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died in their place on the cross, that is going to find expression in the way that they live in the world. I was reading one commentary this week, and uh, they used 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter, to show how the different parts of 1 Corinthians 13 find, show up in the letter to Philemon. But one thing we should see before we get to that is this, uh, Paul um, praises Philemon for his love. He says, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. He says, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And Paul says himself that for love's sake, he doesn't want to command Philemon to do what's required, but rather would have preferred to appeal to him. So Paul recognizes that Philemon is a man for whom the great governing ethic of his life is love, and Paul demonstrates the same in his dealings with his friend Philemon. A passage that uh, if you've been to a Christian wedding, you've almost certainly heard this passage, and it's um, one that's very popular among Christians even outside of that wedding context, of course. But in 1 Corinthians 13, we find what is popularly known as the love chapter, in which Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, is going to define love in terms of what it looks like. Paul writes, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So what I want to do for the remainder of our time here this morning is just go through these different descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and I just want to point out that we find these throughout Paul's letter to Philemon. And again, with the idea in mind that what makes this so wonderful is that it's so different. <laughs> it's so different. The church really is meant to be different than the surrounding culture. We are a people within a people. We are the salt and life. And my prayer for our church family is that God would grant us a righteous influence in the midst of these dark days. And certainly that will come when love is the governing ethic that binds us together and that governs how we relate to one another and the world around us.
So first it says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. And really, I I don't know why um, this is kind of an interesting point in Paul's description of love because he transitions from describing what love is to what it is not. Sometimes it is helpful to define a thing in its negative, right? And Paul does that here. But really what he's describing is humility, When he's saying here that love is marked not by envying or boasting or arrogance or being rude, he to define to say that positively, Paul is saying that love finds its expression in humility, in humble dealings with one another, in others' focus. Philippians two, three through four says this do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What is Paul doing here in the way that he is trying to persuade Philemon? Really, he is saying, you, I'm, I'm going to encourage you, Philemon, not to stand on what are your rights. I'm going to encourage you not to do what you are legally entitled to do. I want you to look at this from Onesimus' perspective. I want you to seek your joy in the joy of your brother. I want you to count him as more significant than yourself. Approach this issue not with selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, think about Onesimus. The whole tone of this letter is marked by a wonderful, rich, deep humility Straight from the opening line in which Paul identifies himself, you know, normally when Paul starts a letter, he starts by identifying himself as an apostle. And he has very good reasons for doing that. Really what he is saying when he says, I'm an apostle, is he's saying these words are authoritative and true. I am writing these words not on my own authority, but with borrowed authority from the Lord who has sent me. But here he starts his letter to Philemon very differently. He, write, he, sa- he identifies himself to Philemon in the opening not as an apostle of Jesus Christ, but rather as a prisoner for Christ. He is, try- he is hitting the note of humility really strong from the opening line. And in verse 16, uh, Paul says, and, and, and this is really, I think, as far as humility goes, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Uh, Paul is really encouraging Philemon towards uh, a very humble way of dealing with his wayward Onesimus. Uh, another one that we find here in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not insist on its own way. Does not insist on its own way. That's how my version puts it. And in verses 8 and 9, Paul writes, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Or verse 14, But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Uh, One of the things I think that's really important to see here is, in the Bible we're told that perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with what? punishment. What Paul is doing in his dealings with Philemon is he's not leaning on punishment. He's not leaning on some sort of public dressing down. 
He says to Philemon, I want you to be motivated and governed by love. For love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you rather than command you. I mean, if, um, let's just say, for example, I don't have a good example. This is the trouble with just coming up with something on the fly. Let's say we should all like use the things we have to be a blessing and a help to people who don't have them. I have a car. Let's say my neighbor's car broke down. They couldn't get to work. I think I have a responsibility then as a Christian, as a neighbor, as somebody with a car, to say, how can I help you get to work? However, if you came to me and said with a gun, you're going to drive your neighbor to work, (laughs) or I'm going to shoot you, (laughs) then what is motivating me to give that ride? I don't want to (laughs) die. I don't want to be punished. And so I'm not doing it out of love. I'm doing it out of fear of punishment. And what Paul is trying to do in his approach to Philemon is saying, for love's sake, I'm appealing to you. I want you to get the joy, the excitement that comes through living in a way that's motivated by love. Love does not insist on its own way. Love wants people to get there in, in, on their own. Paul says love is not irritable or resentful. Some versions, and I kind of like this, uh, says keeps no record of wrongs. I like this because I'm married. <laughs> and uh, very often I behave in ways that are bad in a repetitive way over years. And uh, that will get pointed out to me and then I'll say, love keeps no record of wrongs, Sarah. Uh, This is one Bible verse I have memorized, big time. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's not irritable or resentful. And there's more than a little bit of uh, hinting in in the letter of Philemon that when Onesimus left, he left in a way that probably he stole some things from Philemon. We don't know that for sure, but... He says, Paul writes to him, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. This idea of if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, love requires that you not be resentful. Love requires that you not be a keeper of records of wrongs. You need to forgive and not hold that against him any, any longer. He also says here, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And again, this is just one of those moments where Paul is writing in a way that's gospel-shaped. He's loving Onesimus in the way that Jesus loved him. Do you remember in Romans fifteen seven, he writes this to the church in Rome, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And I actually think that maybe this was an idea that was really held very personally by Paul. Because do you remember, how did Paul get his start? How did we first learn about Paul in the Bible? Well, he's the guy who held everybody's jackets while they were stoning Stephen. He's an accomplice in the murder of this great leader of the early church. And then he has this encounter with the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. He becomes a Christian, but when he shows up among the Christians, they're like, I don't know about that guy. (laughs) They don't trust him. 
The church was kind of keeping a record of wrongs a little bit. And then who came along? Well, if you know your Bibles well, a guy named Barnabas came alongside Paul to make intercession for him. Basically told the church there, I want you to welcome Paul the way Christ welcomed you. Paul is an evil man. Uh, He persecuted the church. He's done horrible things, but he's now one of us. Welcome him in the same way Jesus welcomed you. And now Paul is doing that same thing for Onesimus. And both Paul and Barnabas in this represent what it is for Jesus to be our advocate and intercessor. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And again, throughout this letter, Paul, at every turn, praises Philemon for, what's, what's, for the evidence of the Holy Spirit in his life. I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And the thing that Paul encourages Philemon towards is a loving response that does not delight in dredging up the past or dwelling on past grievances, but instead celebrates the change and transformation of Onesimus. And so what Paul encourages Philemon to do is to rejoice not at wrongdoing. We might ask, how could he rejoice at the wrongdoing of Onesimus? But when Onesimus is back and he's within his grasp, isn't there a certain, isn't there an awful tendency in the human heart to enjoy that moment where he is in, under the grip of your power? And you, in all righteous indignation, can say, you stole from me. You did a bad thing. And I want you to suffer. <laughs> there, that's an awful, I mean, maybe that's a little cartoonish, but there is that awful aspect in humanity that we just love it when the tables are turned. But Paul is telling Philemon, don't rejoice in that. Don't enjoy that. Celebrate the change. Celebrate the transformation. Be excited about what God is doing in his life and about the restoration of him to you. And then Paul writes, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And Paul models this. He says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more that I say. He's just full full of this uh, believing, hoping spirit towards his brother Philemon. And then it says, love never ends. Well, I am reminded of the faithfulness of Paul when he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. That's speaking to a certain constancy in prayer that he has for Philemon. But in verse 15, I think is maybe the verse that speaks most pointedly to this idea of love never ending, where it says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. There uh, is a, a... a truth there in the midst of that that I think is wonderfully, I mean, one of the things about God that's amazing is when He extended us the gospel, He didn't just take away our sins, and then we walk away from Him blessed but independent. <laughs> no, He 
took away our sins, and then we become children. We join His very family. I can think of people who have wronged me, and I go to them and I say, it's forgiven, you know, let's move on. I'm not going to hold this against you. I, I want to... But it, that would be a whole other thing to then say, and hey, why don't you move into my house? <laughs> why don't we spend every waking minute of the rest of our lives together? That's an amazing love God has for me. I'm not quite there yet. Uh, I tend to think about um, in the reconciliation, forgiveness, where I can get to this place where yeah, let's forgive each other, but let's really not have much to do with each other going forward. And maybe that falls far short of the sort of thing that Paul is encouraging Philemon here towards. He's, he's not encouraging Philemon towards a behavior so much as a heart attitude that will then find expression in behavior. And uh, when I think about love never ending, I think about the constant eternal love of God for us and how we are called to something from which there is no exit strategy. Uh, the church is not something from which there is an exit strategy. The church is something that we dive in with both boots. And we love God's people in a forever kind of way. And Paul is saying to Philemon of Onesimus, he's now in that category. I've heard of your love for all the saints. And that's Onesimus now. Formerly he wasn't. A brother, and now he is. And your love for him should be a forever love. Love never ends. So that's where we want to start our conversation this morning, that we are to be a people marked by love. And State Road, I want to encourage you, uh, not perfectly, none of us are perfect, and no church is perfect. And as we get to know one another, we get to know State Road more and more through our years together here, uh, we know this is not a perfect expression of what God would want for his church. But really and truly, my brothers and sisters, I think this is something that for the most part, you folks are sincere about trying to live out. You guys love one another well. You love God. You're loving actively. We can always do more. We can always go deeper in these areas. And by God's grace in the years ahead, we'll continue to be drawn deeper and deeper into more levels of loving God loving others, and love in action. But really and truly, I think that this is a, I have found here in your midst, as my church family, a group of people who are patient and kind. I, I, you guys are very humble people. You don't insist on your own way. There's a wonderful spirit. We've seen this over and over throughout the course of this past pandemic where there are inflamed passions around lots of different issues and disagreement. But we have oftentimes found a way to go forward together by demonstrating a deference to one another, by giving, giving up our personal preference for the sake of common mission and togetherness. I have seen among you a willingness to keep no record of wrongs, and that's wonderful. I have seen in you a celebration of the truth, a celebration of what's right and good. And I have seen in you guys a love that's full of hope and belief and a constancy in your love where we hang in there together. So I just want to encourage you folks. I think none of us are perfect, and we certainly as a church are not perfect at all. But I think that this is something that's real, 
and growing here among us, and I hope that God will continue to nurture it and take it into even greater depths as we go forward together. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we are uh, mindful as we close out this time that in the book of Philemon, Paul is not arguing for the gospel, but he is arguing to a a gospel-shaped man about how to live more fully in light of the gospel. And Father, we are aware in your presence this morning that we are all deeply imperfect, that our church is imperfect. We are not yet the full expression of these things that we would hope to be, and none of us in our lives personally is living out these things in the fullness of how we should. But God, we invite you, we invite you by the Holy Spirit to convict us, to draw us deeper, to make us more marked by love. Father, we thank you for the gentle, patient way that you have pursued us. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who loved us in the way that you did on the cross. And Father, that began with just a very simple act of Jesus coming to us. When Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another, I'm reminded of the fact that just Jesus came to us. He did not sit back and wait for us to discover our need and come to him, but he came to us. God, I pray that we as a people would go out to the world, go to those who are hurting. We would not wait for an invitation, but that we would go. Father, we're reminded of that Jesus in the way that he loved us was not rooted in our merit. It was not rooted in our worthiness or our goodness. Jesus loved us when as yet we were still sinners. And Father, I pray that our love would be a similar expression. God, that it would not be rooted in the other person's worthiness of our love, but that we would love them because you live within us. And God, it was a sacrificial, costly love. It was a love that was open and vulnerable and therefore powerful. God, I pray that we would put ourselves out there, that we would love in risky ways, sacrificial ways. Father, help us to love one another in the same way that Jesus loved us, because God, we know that our efforts to preach the gospel of love out there is going to be predicated on certain realities here within our church. So God, let it begin here. God, we invite you in those areas where we are not yet living this way, that you would shape us again more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus, that we might shine for you in the midst of this world that is not marked by love. Father, help us to represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen.